0: G'day everyone and welcome to another Bloody Movie Podcast. We're back for Christmas or more specifically, Festivus. Yes, we are recording on Thursday, December 23rd, just two days until Christmas, but also three days until Boxing Day when all of the great, or, you know, normally great or the big, big movies of the year or at the end of the year all come out. I'm rambling. Let's get into the episode. Joining me once again Uh, It's been a while since he's been on the show, but he's back. But it's been a while since we've been on the air as well. Blake Eisen returns to talk about some of these really cool movies that are coming out on Boxing Day, or depending on where you live, maybe even Christmas Day. Blake, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Good, good. Um, good. Imagine that, just ditching your family on Christmas Day to go see some of these movies. I couldn't imagine anything better. I know. I I say this ironically, guys, (laughs) okay? Lots to choose from lots of good stuff coming out really great selection we have of the i believe there's eight Films coming out specifically on Boxing Day, like of, some of them, are, you know, like Matrix is going to be playing everywhere, West Side mm. Story is going to be playing everywhere. There's a couple of smaller movies coming out, a few of them we'll get to, but we should say apologies to uh, Sing To, um, Swan Song, uh, not the Mahershala Ali film that's on Apple TV+, Plus, but the one with Udo Kia, and also To Delicious, which Blake has seen, but he saw back at the French Film Festival back in March. So, uh, memory a little foggy on that one. Yes. but i imagine that's very much your typical french film festival fair with you know it's a very it's it's about like something historical the first of something and it's very sweet and very easy to watch something for all the palace nanas to go watch
1: yeah pretty much it was just a sort of old timey version of chef really (laughs) that was good enough i enjoyed it
0: awesome we're one film down already that's how (laughs) But, you know, we're going to be way more in depth with some of the other films. And some of the films we've got to talk about today include The Matrix Resurrections, Licorice Pizza, West Side Story, The Tragedy of Macbeth, The Worst Person in the World. Let's get into it with The Matrix Resurrections. Long-awaited mm-hmm. Matrix Resurrections. Will it be the saviour of cinema? Well, you know, well, and we're not going to talk about Spider-Man. We're going to be the only film podcast to not talk about Spider-Man. One, because I haven't seen it. And two, I don't give a shit. <laughs> Blake's seen it. I'm pretty sure he liked it, but you know what? That's all we're going to say about it. Yep. All right, but let's start off with The Matrix Resurrection. So it's been 18 years since The Matrix Revolutions came out. You know, we all thought it was the end. You know, the, the, the Agent Smith was defeated. Neo sacrificed himself. The Matrix reset. It was all... We all thought that the, the, the loop had closed, but apparently not, because we now have this film. Lana Wachowski is back in the director's chair, and I believe in the writer's, I was going to say the writer's chair, but with the writer's pen, I believe. (laughs) Um, I don't know if this was co-written. We can check up on that in just a moment. And this is the sort of, I saw a critic, apologies, I cannot attribute this to a critic because I cannot remember who said it. They described this as an anti-legacy sequel. And I think that is the perfect way to describe this film. And especially a film like, like this, that is a really weird sort of and messy but messy in a good way this really bizarre and also really inventive sort of meta odyssey and reflection into not only your own sort of past history as a filmmaker and your own filmography and your and the franchise as a whole but also a reflection of your very cynical views towards modern (laughs) franchise filmmaking which this film absolutely is and this film because of that goes into very meta territory again there have been comparisons with wes craven's new nightmare because of that and look it's not it's not meta in the way that something like deadpool is it's a lot smarter than that and Mm. look it could be i could easily see how someone could see this as smug or self-indulgent but to me this is the way to go if you want to be meta yes
1: definitely i agree um i think it handles all of those meta aspects especially sort of towards the sort of first third of the film like really um i I don't want to say heavily or pretty heavy but i think it handles it in a really good way and caught, sort of caught me off guard with how meta it actually was um you know referencing different things here and there and um yeah i can definitely see a lot of people being caught off guard by that but i don't know i think it really works um in terms of, like you say, as a sort of anti-legacy sequel, Um, which, yeah, this definitely feels like that. Um, Poking fun at sort of franchises, like you said, and and whatnot. And I think it's really cool having a movie like that in a sort of superhero-ridden world right now. Something this bold and weird is pretty refreshing to see.
0: We've been praising the meta aspects, and you mentioned the first third. That's where my issues with this film sort of start to come in. Is that it sort of abandons that almost uh, not not immediately, but like after the first the after the first act, yeah. that sort of just gets left by the wayside. They try to bring it back a little bit, like towards like the end or like you know the the denouement of if you will of the mm. film, but it, it just doesn't really land as well as they're trying to be there. And yeah, I mean other disappointing overall i should say i really enjoyed this film uh, i'm not i don't think it's I, I wish i could have loved it in the way and see it as this sort of flawless self-reflexive masterpiece that i'm sure many will profess that this absolutely is and then also yeah, i don't absolutely hate this film like i've heard overheard critics at like uh, other screenings and also walking out of this like being like what the hell was that or like it was mm. like almost as if they were trying too hard or you know but I don't agree with that at all. But I think where my issues with this film, and you know, this could be issues with myself in terms of this and my own expectations of a Matrix film, which absolutely were shattered by you know the meta aspects of the film, but Definitely. more so in just the action of the film. And I understand it might be because all of these actors are older now, like Keanu Reeves is pushing 60, so he might not be able to do all the crazy wire work and martial arts stunts that he once was. Mm-hmm. And this film takes more, the, the action of this film is less of a Matrix film and more of, I'm not even more of a John Wick film either. It's more contemporary action films. There's a lot of close-ups on hands and a lot of quick cuts. And it's just not as convincing as some of the other work that, that that, that has come, that this franchise has been famous for, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it, Um, I think I, I agree. I, I think it definitely misses out on those more sort of, you know, Kung Fu, wide wire work, slow-mo sort of, Um, action set pieces and and sort of goes more for that like you say that contemporary close-up sort of quick cut um action that we've become all too familiar with with sort of modern day action movies um but i I think some of the some of the sequences action sequences were were handled pretty well um Hmm. i thought i thought the train sequence especially was was a standout for me anyway um And yeah, especially like they all have this or the whole movie sort of has this comedy sort of aspect running through it that I think caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting that, um, especially in comparison to the previous three movies. But if I don't know, I thought it was a pretty welcome addition. It sort of
0: gave it this lighthearted, entertaining
1: aspects to Mm. it.
0: And that's, and that's what i also say. I, I, earlier I described uh, specifically the meta aspects as cynical, but also on the other hand of that, this is one of the most earnest and sincere films that you will probably have seen in mm. 2021. Like Lana Wachowski pours every ounce of sincerity into every single frame of this film. And specifically yeah. that works a lot because another another way that people have described this film is as a love story. And a, and one of the biggest complaints specifically of the original Matrix trilogy and specifically the sequels is that nobody Buys, or um, when I say nobody, I mean as a general term, but like. That a lot of people find the romance between Neo and Trinity incredibly unconvincing in mm-hmm. the previous films, but here it's very much the heart and soul of the film, and you can very much tell that that's what Lana was focusing on here, as well as all the other meta stuff. But like the real emotional core, that's there, and I think it is much more palpable than it is in the original trilogy. Here, maybe that's just the fact that all of the original trilogy is built into it, so there's actually a more pre-established history now. But mm-hmm. I also think it's a more of a. I also think it's a much stronger 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 in this film, independent from that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think, you know, Keanu Reeves and um, Carrie-Anne Moss definitely did a great job. Like, you could tell they were having a a great Mm -hmm. time on screen together and coming back to these characters. um, And that definitely adds sort of that um, more authentic feel to to the romance that's that's going on on screen. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, yeah, that helps definitely into buying all that stuff and yeah like you say it's it's clearly the sort of through line of this whole movie Mm. is their their connection
0: yeah and it does it 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 does become an integral part of those sequels as well Mm. because you know it, it turns out the matrix is all about the power of love and all that sort of nonsense and you know like it's it's corny as hell in that film but guess what those matrix sequels are corny as hell and it's kind, exactly. of, it's kind of their brand a little bit the Wachowskis and we should also <laughs> say that no, uh, no Lily for this one this is just Lana uh, yep. writing and directing there may have been a screenwriting partner as I said before we'll check that before one of us will check that before the end yeah. of this. but also in terms but as much as I did enjoy the relationship between Neo and Neo and Trinity in this film and like you know how that sort of evolved in in, in a way I'm not gonna really not, not, not necessarily evolved but like how it sort of plays out or like almost repeats itself in this film. Yeah. Unfortunately, that also leaves to the wayside someone else that was also very much sidelined for a lot of the, the sequels, which is Morpheus. Mm. I think Morpheus, like his character, his sort of re recharacterization in this film is absolutely fascinating. I, yeah. I think I think we can talk about that because it's the opening scene of the film. But basically, in this film, Morpheus, in this new regenerated or this new reset version of The Matrix, Agent Smith... Uh Aya Abdul Mateen first comes in and he's Agent Smith. Yeah. And then uh just just after a big sort of action sequence, uh, he finds Jess Henwick, who plays the character of Bugs, who is the who has the white rabbit tattoo, and at one point in the film says, What's up, Doc? Because you know it's all <laughs> it's a Warner Brothers property. You have to stick Warner Brothers shit in the movie somehow. yeah Um Oh, but then she, so she gives him the red pill and then he becomes Morpheus because he Mm. realizes that's sort of his destiny. And, you know, that's also the whole thing. That's also a big part of the matrix is, you know, fate versus, you know, is all about fate in a lot of ways, you know, choosing your own destiny or following your own path. But in that, and that's a really fascinating way. So in this thing, Morpheus is a program. In this and i thought mm. that's fascinating D- look into this more and then it's sort of sidelined and yeah you know he's just sort of takes a back seat for the rest of the film and then only really shows up he only the after about like the after about like the hour mark he only then shows up with the weird new technology that they introduce for programs to interact with the real real world which is they can enter the real world via floating ball bearings that sort of morph <laughs> into their face
1: yeah yeah, I was definitely um, on the same page. I was definitely um, a little bit disappointed with with the sidelining of Morpheus. Not to say he's not, mm. you know, integral to the movie, and not to say he's not sort of a, a key character. But I definitely would have seen or would like to have seen more from him, and especially, yeah, um, yeah, Bill Mateen the second. He, you know, he felt if he felt really cool as this new yeah. sort of Morpheus I- in those opening. Moments. And
0: and he's making it his own too. He's not mm. just trying to he's not just trying to evoke Lawrence Fishburne's performance. No. He's really trying to make it his own thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I think that was um a little bit mm. disappointing to see him sort of be yeah. Uh, put yeah. to the side and, for a and little the, bit
0: the bugs character more becomes like the morpheus to neo in this movie anyway which yeah. i thought was strange but like i really enjoyed her character and i think she's good mm. in this particularly with both you know the action and also a lot of the dialogue which isn't that great and is very expository <laughs> but you know you kind of need that for a film like this yeah but, yeah but overall look i think it's what did i say in my review i said something along the lines of like it's weird it's messy it has a lot of great concepts that don't always come together, but it is always fascinating nonetheless, and it is something you always want to see more of. So there you go. It's a film by a Wachowski. Like yep. it's it, like <laughs> from what I've seen from all of their filmography. I unfortunately have not watched Speed Racer or any of sense eight but i believe i've seen every single one of their other films it has been a very long time since i saw cloud atlas but my 15 year old brain was broken by that movie <laughs> yep. and i'd imagine i'd imagine, i'm really curious to see what uh, adult sean would think about that and uh bound is also awesome which is you know much more restrained uh wachowskis but bound <laughs> is fantastic it's shadow it's shallow grave with lesbians it's awesome
1: yeah that's one i haven't seen yet um but yeah, I definitely, I think I probably like this a little bit more than you did. And and I think a little bit more than most people have from sort of the internet mm. re- reactions and, and stuff that I've seen so far. Um, I don't think that it's the best of the Matrix sequels, but I don't know. I think there's something really admirable in, especially from a studio, you know, big budget film to do something this bold and, yeah. and outlandish compared like, to it, it's, the blockbusters we're it, getting it's, today
0: it's almost like uh it's almost like uh, i guess you could in one way like you know i still think this film despite like how weird it is uh, whether this film is going to be successful or not who the hell knows like spider-man has got a stranglehold on the box office right now and yep. i don't know if, i don't know if this film is going to be So basically I think like a lot of this film might be Lana Wachowski being like, this might be my last ever shot to make a film like this. Even though I think (laughs) Warner brothers have now said, if you want to do matrix five, we're down to do it. It's almost like not necessarily giving herself like a Viking funeral and sort of laughing maniacally as she goes (laughs) down in flames, but in in a way it's sort of, it feels sort of like a a, a filmmaker being like, not that they don't care, but it's just like, I'm going to do what I want. Yeah, and you know definitely. what? Definitely, I'm not taking. It. I'm sure there were notes taken at some point because you know a lot. A big criticism has been like it becomes. You know, it's all about like this really really having this meta sort of critique on modern blockbusters and then it then then after the first act becoming the exact thing that it's criticizing yeah and like in a way that it does but it's more interesting than that like this is this is definitely one of the most interesting and especially from especially in terms of form as well definitely one of the most compelling uh, blockbusters that's come out this year
1: yeah definitely um and I, I for one look forward to revisiting it a bunch, hmm. um, very soon. But um, yeah, I, I really, really liked what um, what Lana brought to the table yeah. with this.
0: It's, it's the sort of film that I think could, uh, that could fluctuate either way on repeat viewings. Like mm. it's a film that you could absolutely love the more you watch it, or like it's a film that can just absolutely just like, you could just completely turn the on comp- it and be like, yeah. oh, what the hell was I thinking? You know, <laughs> but like, it'll be it'll be interesting to see which way I fall. Like mm-hmm. at this point, as I said, I'm more in the, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't even say I'm in the mixed. I'm in the positive, right? But just not on the super positive. Yeah. 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 But yeah, we're, we're saying go see it. Absolutely.
1: Definitely. Yep. Definitely. And so- and especially if you're a fan of the Matrix previous films. And I, I think especially the sequels yeah Um, yeah
0: it's a lot more like the sequels and even though even though a lot of this film is very indebted to the first matrix not that it's derivative of it i mean it is but for a narrative purpose and Mm. for the sort of meta narrative that it's going for yeah it yeah yeah go see it (laughs) go see it and also go see licorice pizza don't listen to the tiktokers that are telling you not to see this movie I mean, uh, uh, look, I'm, I'm saying that very callously, but look, this film has caused a lot of, let's say, conversation around this going into it. So for the people that don't understand Licorice Pizza, they may have known the film as Soggy Bottom, which was its working title, which is a reference to the waterbeds that they that um, Cooper Hoffman's character is trying to sell in this film, which Alana Haim tells him it's a really bad name for a uh, <laughs> thing because Soggy Bottom is just not appealing at all but I think it's a better title than Licorice Pizza. But yeah, this is the ninth film from Paul Thomas Anderson. It's his first since Phantom Thread back in 2017. Uh, it stars Cooper Hoffman, the son of the late great Philip Seymour, and also Alana Haim uh, of, of the band of the same name. Um, this is set in 1973 in the San Fernando Valley in California. And it, has, it is the very much, it's a film, that is nostalgic but does not rely at all on nostalgia that's what i loved about Mm. this film a lot like there's everything about the 70s setting there's, a, there's nostalgic aspects of it, but it doesn't revel in them. Like, you know, there's like, you know, things in the background, like there's a marquee there's a marquee on a cinema for Live and Let Die. There's like, you know, the soundtrack's full of like, you know, um, who is on the soundtrack? There's people like Nina Simone and like mm. Paul McCartney and Wings and like, you know, famous, like in the trailer, you've got Life on Mars by, Dave, uh, by David Bowie, you know, like yeah. and that features very prominently in the film. Like it has all of these very, very, very 70s aspects as well, like waterbeds as well and pinball. <laughs> And, you know, but it's, it's got nostalgic elements, but it's not all about the nostalgia. I feel that the 70s setting is probably the best that you could set a film in like this. Well, let's just get into it. Blake, what did you think of this? Um, I love this movie um, a lot.
1: Um, I think it's a really cool sort of... Uh, well, cool would be the word I would use to describe this movie. It's sort of one of those, you know, follow these characters as they do stuff. Kind of movie, um, and I think that Paul Thomas Anderson once again is just extremely talented behind the camera, um, directing and writing. And um, yeah, I think this is one of the more, at least from what I've seen from his filmography, I think this is uh, one of the more just just entertaining films. Um, yeah, from him, you know, it's, it's pretty lighthearted. It's filled with you know plenty of comedy and and um an engaging love story at the at the heart of it all but yeah i think all up it's just a very entertaining entertaining movie of of watching these two people and and their group of friends run amok in California in the seventies.
0: Yeah, it's very, very much a, a hangout film. It's sort of like mm. an updated like. A, there's a lot of people have drawn comparisons to you know like a hangout film of to the ilk of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but then mm. also like George Lucas's American Graffiti yep. and like this sort of thing. Even though that film was came out in the seventies and was about the fifties, you know I think that that's, that sort of that sort of ethos is right here it, within this film. Yeah, I find definitely, and I think uh,
1: both Alanaheim and Cooper Hoffman give great performances. They're excellent. Um, uh, Heim
0: uh, Co- Hoffman is really good, but Heim especially surprised the hell out of me here.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, it's- and for both of their first. I'm pretty sure it's yeah both of those first, first role well I
0: mean Heim was in the all all three Heim sisters who also in this film and then also mama and papa Heim are also in yeah. this film as well as like the whole the whole family in this film. Yeah. I believe they were in the Lonely Island short which I think is how they actually met Paul Thomas Anderson because uh, okay. through Maya Rudolph
1: yep, yep. But yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I thought they were they were both great and yeah like you say especially um Alana Heim. she was she was fantastic here
0: yeah, this is just this is just a film that you can just get absolutely lost in. Like you know, it's, it's a sort of film like when you finish watching it, you're like, and this film does end. I I feel kind of rather abruptly, and like yeah. so, so does the Matrix Resurrections as well. That ends really abruptly too. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one specifically, it's it the way that it's 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 structured, it's incredibly episodic. Yes. It's very it just feels like you're watching and not in a bad way when you say something's episodic as in it's like this feels like, you know, like four episodes of like the Licorice Pizza miniseries sort of stitched together. Mm-hmm. And while it does, I don't think that's a criticism at all. Like I like the the sort of free flowing nature of this film. Particularly with Cooper Hoffman, who's like who is this kid that's like sort of because his character is someone that is very sporadic and also like that sort of does things on impulse yes. and you know sort of like not necessarily falls into fads or falls into gimmicks but just is sort of like a a real-time hustler in a lot of ways so it's <laughs> yeah. like he's sort of like oh i'm a kid actor like you know i'm gonna be doing this now it's like oh no what's next? Oh waterbeds i'm going to become a waterbed salesman let's do that yeah. now i'm going to buy a waterbed off leo dicaprio's dad for whatever reason <laughs> yeah. from this thing and then i'm going to become a waterbed salesman oh that's not working uh what do i do next uh pinball pinball's legal again i'm going to open a pinball parlor and it's just all these other things and it's like oh wait we're going to deliver a waterbed to john peters we're going to spend 20 minutes in that sequence where we get to see a very unhinged bradley cooper and wow, I don't think I've seen him like this. Unfortunately, we don't get a real life figure, John Peters, who was uh, for people that saw the uh, Superman Lives documentary, uh, is the guy that uh, w- who demanded the giant spider be put in the Nicolas Cage Tim Burton Superman movie, and that uh, <laughs> didn't happen. So they ended up putting it in Wild Wild West. But this guy was basically just like uh, someone who got into the industry because he was Barbara Streisand's hairdresser, and then subsequently Barbara Streisand's boyfriend. And then she just kept making him producer on all of their projects. And then he sort of rose up through the ranks and became like a big shot Hollywood producer for a while. (laughs) And yeah, yeah, and Bradley Cooper just plays him as like an unhinged, um, narcissistic maniac in this film. (laughs) Pretty much. Um, (laughs) and like John Peters is still alive too. So it's, it's fascinating that like they, I wonder if they got his blessing to, to present him in such a way.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure. But, um, Touching on that, I think that entire sequence is my favorite sort of sequence of this film. Is is the whole lead up with with Bradley Cooper's character and then leading into what happens after they meet and and that yeah, an action sequence. I wasn't expecting
0: an action sequence and a car and I guess we can say a car chase chase. question mark yeah or yeah it's it's and it's really well done Mm. too
1: definitely definitely um and i think that in in that moment so for for a movie that is filled with you know 1970s music and and um constantly playing different songs that you f- might be mm. or might not be familiar with um that moment especially i think you know is filled with a lot of silence and yeah it just... really amps the tension of that that one moment but um yeah it's not yeah.
0: overbearing with the music at all no and it, it doesn't
1: become a jukebox musical yeah it's or not anything cruella like it's, it's, it's i know no. i know
0: i know i know your beloved cruella is a, is a sacred cow for you but like the mu- <laughs> it's it's the, the 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 needle drops i kind of yes. hate that saying but here in this film they aren't as egregious and they aren't as you know, they don't take you out of the movie as much. No, they just feel like it. Just feels like it's adding more to the texture of this of the time period that they're set that they're setting this in.
1: Yeah, definitely. And in terms um, of that, I
0: think we. Well, sorry, I'll let you finish what you were saying there.
1: No, I was just going to say right down to to um what you were saying before we started recording the podcast as well in terms of the uh stethoscope headphones and yeah, <laughs> it's just all of it. Everything is, is just set in the 70s the like, waterbeds the pinball
0: yeah. all of it just like it's just uh the ga- and specifically in la like the gas shortage as well yep and all that sort of stuff mm. i think there's even re- there's even references to- is there references to nixon as well i believe even um, the v- there's yeah, references to sure. vietnam or like you know veterans coming back from vietnam and yeah. things like that it just all adds to this texture it's not vital it's vital to the film but the film doesn't excuse itself to be like here's this moment of this music. It's just sort of interwoven into the whole narrative. And I think that's that's the way to do nostalgia. This film <laughs> does it well. But also in terms of that, I think we got to talk about the, the elephant in the room with this film, which a lot of people are saying the age gap between Cooper Hoffman and Alana Haim in this film. So yes, Alana Haim's yeah. character is 25 and Cooper Hoffman's character is 15 in this film. In the film, it sort of starts out as flirting a little bit, like sort of like just playful flirting in this yeah. film. But then for the rest of the film, it's sort of like they they're more friends for most of the film and it's sort of like uh like like say like it's a teenage boy with a crush on his babysitter like that's what it felt like for a majority (laughs) of the movie it then evolves into something more than that which i can understand would make people uncomfortable but here and why i think this film sort of works Critic friend of mine and hopeful future guest of this podcast, Daniel Landon, put this perfectly. So I'm not going to I'm not going to cre- credit myself for saying this because he said it and it worked perfectly. Because for the entire film, you're watching Alana Heim's character, and they're like, "Why the hell is she hanging out with this kid?" She's like, "But then you realize uh, Cooper Hoffman's character um, was it Greg? No, uh, Gary. 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 Yeah. And and she's Alana. Alana. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she keeps her own name. That would have made things very easy on set, I imagine." And, oh, and all of her sisters as well are their own names as well. They've just got a separate last name. But so mm. why... why you, Because it's this question you keep asking for the whole film. Why does she keep hanging out with this guy? And she even points out how weird it is. And it's <laughs> yeah. like... Wh- and she's also questioning, like, why the fuck do I keep hanging out with this 15-year-old and his dorky friends? Yeah. And I think the reason why is because every adult she sees... And th- again, this is attributing this to Mr. Daniel Lamond, great critic, go read his stuff over at Switch. He was saying that it's because she all the adults around her are acting like children and sh and that gary is the only person in her life that shows any real integrity or maturity around her mm. and i think that's what she sees in him not romantically but like that's why she keeps sticking around
1: yeah definitely um i think that's something that i sort of glanced over during the movie but now you say that I definitely can can get that um yeah, a lot of the adults in the film are very much, you know, acting like they, they're they the top dog and using mm. friends for different benefits and, and yeah. whatnot. Whereas Gary is very much just in there, like you say, friends with Alana for the most part.
0: Yeah, going but they, they business, are sort of I mean. like, they, they sort of, the the power dynamic between them switches a little bit, because even though yeah. they, they've sort of agreed that they aren't really going to pursue each other romantically, even mm-hmm. though there is an inkling that something may happen there, Yeah, it, they, they do sort of play like this weird psychosexual sort of like mind games with each other. In the mm. way that like, you know, like Gary will be like with a, you know, with like, a, like trying to talk up a girl at his, um at his, uh, at his soggy bottom factory, basically with it while he's yeah. selling his waterbeds. And then like, there's uh Alana with, um with Sean Penn's character, who's Jack Holden, who's clearly meant to be William Holden, you know, yeah. this, this sort of, you know, very much this, you know, aged Hollywood star that, you know, likes to ride his motorbike everywhere and might be a little bit nuts, mm-hmm. you know, and then. Uh, then you've got, you know, also the kid from Smart as well early on, who's like a fellow child actor, but, you know, much, much closer to um, Alana heims age, which, you know, it's all about sort of making each other jealous. But like, you know, they're always at arm's length, like, you know, at arm's length from each yeah. other at this film. But, you know, it sort of comes closer. And I guess that's where maybe you'll have problems with the film in that. I, and not I'm not saying that the film justifies it in any way, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's tricky to talk about yeah. in terms I- of that. I
1: think it handles it well um, mm. and definitely I guess uh, showcases. I, I feel like it does showcase sort of some of the issues with. Yeah. yeah. It you know, absolutely the gap does. And yeah. Like you say, with, with um, Alana's character, subsequently named Alana, having those conversations with her sisters and her friends saying, you know, why am I hanging yeah. out with this 15 year old guy and, and his friends all the time? Um, So yeah, I don't think it, um, I think it handles it really well
0: and on the on the note of we should also mention the other uh, briefly mention the other thing that's making news or headlines or discourse about this film is uh, the asian joke that's been going that that's happened uh, yes. so there's a character in this film who's married to a japanese woman and um, he doesn't speak japanese but when he does speak to his wife who i believe does not even i don't even think she speaks english he speaks english to her but in a very racist japanese accent at my screening people were laughing at this joke i i wasn't i think the joke here is you know it's setting up the time i don't necess- i don't agree with the joke and i don't think the joke is offensive necessarily i think the joke here is that this guy is it, it's at the joke is at this guy's expense Is that yeah is that this guy is pathetic and mm-hmm. is also an incredibly racist person and look and a lot of people and i guess i think people are laughing at that i don't think people are laughing at the racist impression itself yeah, I think, I think definitely. that's, uh, and look, so, some people may be, and I don't think that's the intended way. And I can see how people would think that's offensive. I mm-hmm. didn't see it that way, but I can totally understand why people would see that as offensive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in
0: the, it, it is also just not really page. a great joke. It's also just not really a great joke either.
1: No, I mean, it didn't really need to be there at all. Mm. Um, I don't think, but yeah, I definitely, like you say, it, it's definitely
0: uh joke at this character's expense and yeah laughing at him it is also very degrading towards this japanese woman as well but like yeah
1: yeah um but yeah i think it's definitely sort of not one that's that's using um or, or yeah having the racism aspect of it be be the joke i don't think it's yeah it's no i
0: don't sad. think it is either i think it's it's more it's more at the expense of this character but i i can definitely see why some people and you know it we can't tell what they're laughing at with that no like, you know exactly. this person could be a huge racist and could be laughing at this incredibly racist impression
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah it's a tough one but yeah. thankfully it's only sort of what one
1: yeah they they do bring moments. it back yeah, bring,
0: they, yeah. They, they do bring it back which was odd but yeah
1: um it's not necessarily a massive part of the film
0: no but it's just it's the one that's just been making i'm not i don't think it's been really making headline it's just there's been a lot of chatter about it online and i just thought it's worth addressing Mm -hmm.
1: yep um but yeah overall i think the British piece is pretty great
0: Yeah, I I think in the last few minutes, we've sort of given you reasons why, like, you might hate it, or, like, might not like it, but honestly, this is very much a... Yeah, it's a hangout film in a lot of ways. It's definitely, like, Paul Thomas Anderson, at least from what I've seen, a lot of his films are very dark, and, like, very... They they have a very... uh, Like, almost like a tinge of tragedy to almost all of them that I've seen, but they're also you know, or also euphoric in a lot of ways. And this film, I think, is quite euphoric. And, like, out of the films that I've seen, I think the closest one you can compare this to is Boogie Nights. Yep. In terms of that way. Because I think mm. it also... I believe Boogie Nights is also in 70s, but, you know, that's set around the porn, you know, around the porn district. This one, the porn district, the porn industry, sorry. And this one is set more, you know, just in general, the, va- the valley, as the they valley, say.
1: Yeah.
0: It, it's going to be interesting to see how this film fares in terms of uh, Oscar consideration. Because yeah. I can see this controversy between the, and how it presents the characters, like in terms of getting it, getting screenplay, I can see maybe a few people voting against that. Yeah. I think Alana Heim should be the front runner for best actress because she's just incredible in this film.
1: Yeah, I agree. She's, she's fantastic. And I hope she keeps uh, acting in the future. Yeah. Cause um, she's great at it. Yeah. In, in more things. Yeah. I'd love to see more from her. Um, yeah, I guess this. I guess I'm a bit biased, being a massive fan of Heim the band, but <laughs> yeah, her performance is great.
0: Yeah, so yeah, I over as as we've said, overall, I really like the film as well. It's it's got its. It, I was gonna say it's got its issues, but that's more mm-hmm. like discourse issues, and you know, they're they're mainly from people that haven't seen the film. And look, I can understand if that concept does make you uncomfortable or not, maybe wanting to see this film. I totally mm-hmm. get that, but. Yeah, just like go go see the film and see if you, and see for yourself for if yourself. you are able to if you're able to yeah. So this one comes out on Boxing Day. It's been released through Universal Pictures. Yeah, um, yeah I think I think it's I think it's pretty good. Um, I in terms of Paul Thomas Anderson's overall rankings, uh, Punch Drunk Love is still absolutely my favourite. I think that is almost as close to perfect as a film can get um but yeah i like this one quite a bit and there's still a a number of them that i haven't seen so this would probably be it's probably lower in the rankings in terms of the films that i've seen from him but that's still to say like this man has a remarkable output in terms of quality yeah definitely
1: um i think this is only the fourth paul thomas anderson film i've seen but um yeah it's still definitely a fantastic movie i think
0: so make sure you go see that out on boxing day as is the film you're going to talk about which i've completely forgotten what it is oh yes west side story Story, another film which the whole world has seemingly forgotten about looking at those box office numbers in the u.s Um, yeah so what is your history with the original stage production and Um, and 60s film as well the robert wise film
1: yeah so i guess growing up i sort of i've never seen the actual um stage show or or any recordings of the stage show or anything like that I've only ever seen um the original film um but I've yeah sort of watched it a lot as a kid um when I was younger didn't watch it for years revisited it a couple of years ago when this project sort of got announced and um realized just how great that original film is um so then obviously yeah flash forward to today and and we've got steven spielberg having his crack at a musical which is i think pretty exciting in its own right yeah, Absolutely. regardless is. of its um yeah
0: look his recent output has been spotty at best but you know mm. it's, it's still spielberg he's always gonna He's always gonna try his hardest, or you know, even when the Spielberg's supposedly asleep at the wheel, he's still gonna try.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that this film of his, from in especially in comparison to a lot of his recent stuff, is one of his better, um, better movies that he's done. Um, from a technical aspect, first of all, this movie is amazing. Like Spielberg's direction and the way he sets up shots and framing and, and all of that stuff mm. is just incredible. Yeah.
0: Um, Janusz Kaminski is back doing the cinematography, right? Yes, that's I don't right. Think I, I, I could be wrong here. I believe they've been, like, not separated, but, you know, I don't think he's worked on one of his films for a while. I yeah. could be completely wrong with that, though. I'm looking that up. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, I think that's definitely where
1: this movie shines the most. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I think it, it adds a lot of interesting um, sort of changes to quite a few of the musical numbers and, and things like that, where, you know, in the, in the original um, film, it, it might be a song sort of entirely taking place on a rooftop for more of that um, sort of um, production feel. Sort of like a more stage play feel, uh whereas this has a lot more movement and things like that, and musical numbers will move from from location to location, and for instance, might start in a in a room and and end up out in the street and you know mm. big big flash mob dance sequence and and things like that um so yeah, I definitely really loved it in that aspect um but yeah i think that it's a tough one to sort of say outshines the original um and i think it's a tough one to sort of say that i would be pressed to revisit it all that much um in the future i think that the cast do a fantastic job mainly um rachel zegler she's amazing um her singing talent is phenomenal um and just as an actress she does a great job um and then you know you have a uh, you have a couple of returning characters as well like um rita moreno shows Mm -hmm. up in a sort of twist on a classic character which was which was cool to see
0: um which i really liked um so you, you, when you say that, do you mean more than one? Because I'm now hoping that Richard Bamer who when I because I rewatched the I, I watched the first film for the first time in the lead up to this, I was hoping to catch the film at its um uh, advanced like public advance screenings before mm. this podcast. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get the chance to. But yeah, I and then I watching the original, I was like, oh my god, that's Ben Horn from Twin Peaks. Tony yep. is Ben Horn from Twin Peaks, and he's like 22 here. And yeah. I'm I'm used to seeing him in like big like goggle glasses and like grey <laughs> curly hair. This is bizarre, mm. but like so please tell me that Richard Bama shows up at some point.
1: Um, I don't think so. No. From memory, I'm from memory, I'm pretty sure it's only um, Rita Moreno who yep. who returns.
0: J- just on that, yeah, I was I I was completely uh, blanking because Janusz Kaminski last worked with Spielberg on Ready Player One. So there you go. Oh yeah. But it's it's good hearing what you said about like because that's when I watch the original film I'm really I'm, I realize like it's all very like very much stagey like it doesn't really yeah. use medium like all of the and what I mean by that is that the the sequences not that the the movements or anything are static it's just that they all sort of stay in the same spot like they don't actually they don't actually change locations during the things they just yeah. sort of are all they're all sort of just like standing around or they're not standing around they're obviously dancing but you know they're not moving like they're not going over they're all staying on the same like bit of pavement or like at the same rooftop and things like that you know
1: yeah um and i definitely think that that's sort of my main takeaway from from this this version of the film and and definitely my favorite um aspect is what spielberg did with it visually and and um and, yeah, just subtle changes that, that sort of make it stand mm. out on its own and, and not just a shot-for-shot shot remake, which I don't think Spielberg would have ever done. But, no. Um, yeah. And I think all the music's great. You know, everyone, everyone has um, great singing voices and, and all the um, arrangements are, are still amazing. And if you know this music, it's amazing.
0: Mm. It's great to hear on the big screen. I've specifically heard that the um, when when they get to "I Feel Pretty," that one is that sequence in particular is that fantastic. Sequence is amazing. Yes,
1: that and um, "America"
0: is yeah. is another sequence well, that I, think, I really love. I believe "America" is like from what I "America" was the only song that I knew from West Side Story going into watching the original for the first time. So yeah, yeah. Um, so it's great that they've you know kept that. They've made that you know, and it's a very much probably the most like outwardly political song in the entire uh, mm-hmm. in definitely the entire, uh, um,
1: but yeah so those those two sequences are great um, and I think I should say you know I think that, that West Side story in general definitely has a bit of um, I I think it always feels like it slows down a lot once it gets past the halfway point um, and that never goes away at least for me. Uh, and I sort of felt that in this movie as well, but uh, I guess that's just a case of of the film staying true to its source, and um, Mm. yeah, in that aspect, but I don't know, as far as remakes go, I was was pretty happy with with what Spielberg did, and um, I will definitely watch it again, um, mainly for the sort of
0: well you need to it needs to side. recoup it it needs to recoup its box office you need to go see it as many times as you can.
1: Yeah that's true. Um but yeah I just think I just think in terms of um remakes go and I guess this is sort of generally the consensus is that the original does shine more but that's not to say that this yeah. this isn't pretty fantastic.
0: Yeah. It from what you're saying, it sounds like it doesn't feel like it's made out of obligation to just. It's the you know sixty years since this came out, you know, or like you know we're getting to the point about time we got another one of these. It's like it's actually made with a purpose, other than just to make money.
1: Definitely, um, and you can you can feel the sort of sincerity from from Spielberg in that he definitely Mm. wanted to do this and wanted to have a crack at a musical, which I think he handles fantastically and. If he was to do another musical, I'd be there, hands down, because he does a terrific job here. Um, Yeah, I think it's definitely worth checking out if you're a musical fan. It is very much a sing the whole time and have a couple lines of dialogue. So it is a musical, musical. Um, But yeah, I think it's definitely worth worth checking out, um, specifically for... Spielberg and, and the the way he hand, handles it. Um, yeah, it's quite
0: good. I'm keen to see it. Also, just one last question. Do they keep the overture and intermission?
1: Uh, they do keep the overture. It's, oh, it's yes. sort of, it's it's like it's really cool. The overture is sort of a, an opening establishing shot that goes on for a while and is really impressive. Um and then, in terms of the intermission, there's there's not an intermission per se, but there is the intermission music, and and it does show up for a little bit, and oh, cool. yeah, sort of a um, changing of of scenes. It does come up, and yeah, which was cool to see. Um, I was glad that they they kept that in there for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, well, I'm really excited to see every little bit of this movie minus its lead actor. So the less yes. about, le- the less said about him, the better. Apparently.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it's, it's a touchy subject talking about um, actors that have, you know, have allegations against them and, and sort of being in films that I guess the internet then becomes comes out saying that they're enabling them and things like that. But, um, you know, I think that Ansel Elgort does a pretty decent job in the movie. But it's, yeah, it, I guess it is kind of tough to to look at that when you have these sort of um, allegations and things in the back of your mind. But I guess, yeah, in terms of the movie it, itself, without that, I think he does all right. And I thought his singing voice was actually pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, it's just, I guess, one of those touchy subjects that, Will will put, I guess, a lot of people off even seeing the movie, but yeah, yeah, it's a tough one.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, if obviously yes, uh, if you feel uncomfortable with the fact that there is potentially an alleged sexual abuser starring in this film, we obviously understand your, uh, yeah, your. In, well, i was gonna say well that's not the word understand your um concerns of not going to go see this film and mm-hmm. we respect that on um, you might not even be able to go see it with the way that covid's been going like well, i think we should probably say that, that make too. sure you stay safe make sure you stay <laughs> safe and if you only go to the cinema if you're vaccinated obviously and you're wearing a mask you know follow yep. the rules guys follow the rules and yep. stay safe stay safe um but he- here's one in a few weeks where if if whatever reason we do go into another lockdown and you know everything it turns to shit again uh we've got the tragedy of macbeth by i was gonna say the cohen brothers but this is just joel cohen i believe ethan cohen has sort of retired or sort of just been like i'm not making movies anymore joel you're on your own see ya
1: yeah i'm not sure but this is one I'm very excited or, to see. Or he's
0: just taking a, a leave of absence from filmmaking. But at the, anyway, so this <laughs> is just Joel Cohen doing this one. It is the story of Macbeth, you know, the classic 17th century um, uh, Shakespearean tragedy about the, the King of Scotland or the man who would become the King of Scotland via betrayal and... Uh, avarice and greed and uh basically uh, you know it's you all know macbeth you all read it and you all did it in high school you all had to sit around in a circle and put on a paper crown and pretend to be king duncan and you know get killed by a floating dagger or whatever <laughs> um so yeah what this film so yeah there's narratively there's not much here there's not not that there's not much here you know it's one of the most famous stories in the world but it's just like it's a very very direct adaptation everyone's it's the full-on shakespearean dialogue to my knowledge there isn't any change in the dialogue even though someone does still call someone cuz instead of cousin and i imagine (laughs) i'm hoping that's in the original in the original but you know that's there so basically so we've got this film it's 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 another adaptation of Macbeth. Macbeth is Pretty much the only Shakespeare play that I have any sort of familiarity or any affection with. Um, I've seen a number of adaptations of it. As I said, I've, I studied the play in high school, as I'm sure many people did. I watched the Roman Polanski version from the '70s. I watched the Justin Kazell version from about five years, five or six years ago. I also watched, as part of the school that I did, I also watched the. Um, uh, when Ian McKellen and uh, Judy Dench did it at the, I believe the national theater company in London or whenever they, whenever they did it in, on stage in London, I think in the seventies. And it was shot as a, like a TV special for British television. So yeah. I got to watch, I got to watch that for school as well. And also the best Macbeth adaptation, which is Akira Kurosawa's throne of blood, which is just a masterpiece mm-hmm. um, by a, a man who made many masterpieces. But so, Essentially, what I'm saying here is you're not making Macbeth to reinvent the wheel narratively. What you're doing is to do this as a sort of formal exercise. And that's what Joel Cohen does in spades a lot here. And so what this film does specifically and and what it changes and how it makes it distinct from every other adaptation of Macbeth is very much the look of it. And I mean, there was there is an adaptation that there's been what 26 adaptations to the screen of Macbeth, <laughs> both television and film, since 1908. So Jeez. you know, there's been a lot. But like this one, in terms of modernly, it's taken a lot of German expressionist, uh, taken a lot of uh, inspiration from the German expressionist Karl Theodore Dreyer. And, you know, mm-hmm. a, you know it, it's all in the four by three or Academy ratio, one of the two, Let one slightly bigger. I believe it's four by three. It's in black and white. And it just it has all of this Gothic surrealist imagery from it. And, you know, it, aesthetically, it's beautiful. You know, Bruno Del Bono is a terrific t- DP and he was clearly just like absolutely frothing at the opportunity to do something like this. And like every frame of this is just like absolutely exquisite. It's also a lot dirtier. Than a lot like, maybe it's just the black and white and like the you know it's a, it's an actual period Macbeth and like you know it's all shot on a soundstage which also sort of helps to like the sort of the whole theatricality of it all and mm-hmm. like try to, making it more like sort of a theater to screen which I get is the intention and is sort of my issue a, a little bit of an issue which I'll get to in just a moment so with its actual period setting and also it could just be on top of the black and white like a lot of other Macbeth adaptations I've seen are very, or maybe not, maybe with the Justin Kazell one as well, it's all very lavish and very uh, opulent as well. Here, <laughs> everything doesn't look that, here, everything's a lot dirtier and it's a lot less polished and, like, it's grimy. And I think it does a really good, it's really good at really getting under your skin, especially with how the three witches are portrayed in this, in this film, which I don't really want to give too much away, but you've probably seen it in the trailer. They're all played by the one actress and they're yeah. almost sort of personalities of this one person. And and then you know like it's seen as she's then seen as three people in either reflections or in hallucinations and it's outstanding like it it is a great way to adapt it to to sort of change that up and do it like that. Also the is this a dagger I see before me the way that that is done in this film where it's like uh, the the door the handle on a door is in a sort of straight sort of pole shape that's like sort of slightly rounded a little bit and from a distance uh Denzel Washington's Macbeth sees that as a dag as a shining dagger and I thought mm. that was pretty great too everything okay. else is very very much straightforward and like it's all it's very much just like a for like a it's very much a showcase for form and also for acting as well Denzel Washington man uh, I'm just not used to hearing and everyone to my knowledge as well everybody in this film keeps their natural accents so you've got Americans and Brits in mm-hmm. Scotland for whatever reason. <laughs> and, you know, and you've got, you've got Denzel Washington as the King of Scotland in this movie. So figure that out. Yeah. And, but basically, and, it, uh, and maybe it's just me. Cause I'm not used to hearing Shakespearean dialogue come out of an American's mouth, but like, but both with Francis McDormand and, um, and washington like washington in this film he makes an excellent macbeth because he has he's able to be both incredibly stoic he's incredibly stoic in like the first half of this film where Mm. he's like he's not sure if he really wants king and then you've got you know lady macbeth whispering in his ear and you know that's the witches and all that sort of stuff which was really egging him on to kill to kill the king and then Mm. you know eventually he does and he becomes king and then when the madness starts to sleep in, you get, you basically get the best of both worlds with Denzel Washington. You get the really stoic, really intense, you know, the intensity that he brings to so many roles. And then you yeah. also get his really maniacal, not that, not maniacal. They were just, you know, these really, really sharp outbursts that he's had this really, you know, that really reflects the madness that he's sort of diving into as like you know everything starts to turn to shit for Macbeth and like everyone turns against him you know it's he's he's excellent Frances McDormand under the hand should be awesome like because that's someone who should be amazing as Lady Macbeth and unfortunately for whatever reason I don't buy her at all specifically like you know her really big monologues where like you know she should be the perfect Lady Macbeth Because she has this sort of, she has this real darkness to her in a lot of the performances she brings, but she can also play like incredibly vulnerable and like a really damaged person, which you're like, that should be perfect for Lady Macbeth. For whatever reason, it doesn't quite work here. Maybe it's just, I don't know if she's overdoing it. I don't know if it's just the fact that it's like, she doesn't, uh, I don't know what the problem is, but yeah, she like, like Denzel Washington, unfortunately is acting circles around her in this movie.
1: Yeah, right. That's interesting to hear. Because, yeah, I would have expected her to be perfect for this role. Mm. But,
0: but, yeah, but one yeah. person that did surprise me, though, is Corey Hawkins playing McDuff, who, as if mm-hmm. you know the play, has like becomes a major player right towards the end of the film. And, you know, I've seen yeah. him in some stuff. I've seen him in, like, you know, recently in In the Heights and uh black clansman as well like you know he had a small smaller role in black clansman and i think he's a good actor but here it was like you know he he really exceeded what he really exceeded like my expectations of him in this film i think he's really really great in this film i, I didn't even know he was in the film until um, i saw no, him on I had screen no and i was and i was blown away by i was not blown away but i was like i was really impressed by his performance here
1: yeah that's good to hear yeah i had no idea that that he was in um in this movie hmm. um but yeah i'm definitely i'm really looking forward to checking this out um i think i think for me it will be at home on on apple tv yeah but
0: i i would say because of as i've said with brunel del bono's just exquisite cinematography and with the lighting and the dreyer mm. or the the beaming dreyer influence that's just all in all its monochrome glory like yeah. i would absolutely say see this on the big screen and also you know because it's four by three sit as close as you can take yeah. in a cinema because you need to absorb all of it Uh, But yeah, but if you can't make it to a cinema from Boxing Day or Christmas Day, depending on when your local cinemas are opening, this will be streaming on Apple TV Plus from January 14th. And look, I don't think, uh, as much as I would say, like, definitely try to go see this in a cinema, this would still, if you've got a really good, like, home theatre system, this would still work really well. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's not the best. It's it's definitely not. There's been better Macbeth adaptations. There's certainly been worse. I'm looking at that weird fucking um, Samuel, Sam Worthington Sam Worthington one from Worthington. the mid two thousands. Yeesh. But yeah, like it maybe left me wanting a little bit more because it didn't. You know, it's you know. But you know, I'm I'm repeating myself here. But. Look, it's hard to know what you want out of a Macbeth adaptation, but, you know, I think it's, it's a pretty good one. Wish it did a little bit more, but from what it does, it's pretty good.
1: Cool. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear. Um, um, I'm looking forward to it.
0: All right, and the final film we have to talk about today, I mean, so we've talked about six films. Remember, we talked about Delicious at the, at the very beginning of the episode. Blake gave a very, very concise review of that. Thank you, Blake. Yes, Um, but now we get to what i think is the best film coming out of the ones that we've seen obviously the best film that's coming out uh over the boxing day period which is rather ironically because it's the best film coming out of this around at this date but it is called the worst person in the
1: world yes um one of the best films
0: of the year One of the absolutely best films. I currently have this at, like, number two. I don't really care. Making lists for me, they're they're too anxiety-inducing for me now. They're too much work, you know, and it's like, you know, you stress too much over them. I just don't do them anymore. I just sort of keep tallies in my head and just sort of switch them around a bit now. Um, so worst person in the world would probably be like number two for me probably right behind a head's knee which i've talked a little bit i don't think i've talked about on this podcast but i reviewed it over at movie babble for when i saw it for tiff that movie is just absolutely electrifying and is one of the angriest films i think i've ever seen but it is it directs its anger towards the right people and is just enthralling but back to worst person in the world which Honestly, I got worried when I first cuz I knew I went into this film knowing absolutely nothing. You saw it quite a while Me back too. at the Brisbane Film Festival. I saw it in a media screening a few weeks back. Now, here's the thing. When I first heard about this film and when, even in the opening shots when it's, you know. So the film's basically about a med student. So it's it's a Norwegian film. It's by Joachim Trier who's made a, cu- a couple of made a couple of films that I've heard of and heard great things about that I've just never seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, films like what is it? Uh, there's his Os- this is the third film Oslo. in his Oslo trilogy. I'm not yeah. aware of what his the first two are. Do you know what they are, or do we have to look that up?
1: Um, I'm not entirely sure in that trilogy what the other two are. Um, yeah. Uh,
0: so Oslo, August 31st is one of them, and I'm trying yep. to find what the other one is. <laughs> this is. This is real entertaining podcasting, isn't it, mate? Isn't it, everyone? Um, God, what else was? It? Um, anyway, so it's made a trilogy. Is made a trilogy oslo 30 oslo august 31st is one of them we can't remember the second one this is the <laughs> third and final in this trilogy supposedly who knows if they're going to do more and what made me really concerned is that this is a uh, a med student who's about to hit her 30s and she kind of just goes through a life change she's just sort of starts to take a little bit of agency in her own life starts to take control of it and is like no, you know what? I'm going to do what I want. So I'm going to mm. drop out of med school and become a photographer and then also dump my boyfriend in this relationship that's going nowhere and I'm going to get a new lease on life. And then yep. so the film is told in an epilogue, 12 chapters and also a uh, sorry, a prologue, 12 chapters and then also an epilogue mm. and is also yeah, and you know, well the French title is actually Julian 12 Chapters, which I think is a much better title than <laughs> uh, than the worst person in the world, but you know what, but what really got me worried about this film was like, oh God, is this just going to be self-loathing, like self-loathing masochistic uh, white millennial in crisis, the movie Mm -hmm. and that every single hipster is going to eat up because it's like, yes, I, I, I went out of a field to go chase my dream too. Like all this kind of crap. And I'm like, oh no, I am dreading what's coming next but thankfully it absolutely like it kind of is that but it's a much better version of that it's not wallowing in its own self-pity this movie this is the sort of film that makes me believe in cinema again this is the sort of film where I just everything about it is just absolutely riveting and is just Oh my god! Where do we even start with this film? We might as well start with Renata the Holy fuck. yeah, I was gonna say definitely deserving of the best actress award in Cannes, and mm-hmm. here just just electrifying. Really, I've said that word before, but like she's amazing, absolutely yeah. incredible in this film.
1: Um, it's amazing how um, engaging her performance, or the whole movie, but especially her performance. Like everything that she does is spot on. Uh, yeah. and just had me mesmerized right from the get-go um and yeah again it, I, i'm in the same boat this is a movie that i had no idea what it was going into it and yeah when it first started i was a little bit unsure but yeah as it unfolds it's just i think electrifying is the word um it's it's amazing how engaging this movie is for a what two hour long yeah it was essentially just
0: a a, a rom-com essentially pretty much like this is one of the like i don't think i've seen a rom-com in quite some time that was this genuinely romantic Mm. and i think and watching like because i didn't also see the trailer before going into this film and watching the trailer it focuses on like one main aspect of this film which is the fact that she does on one of her partners which she she gets together with a couple of guys one of them played by anders danielson lee who i'd previously seen in a french zombie film which i wasn't a huge fan of called the night eats the world which is where it's basically him locked up in an apartment during the zombie apocalypse it wasn't that great but he was good in it and he's also he really surprised me in this film because i thought like you know this character could have easily just fallen into a cliche douchebag boyfriend that you know doesn't really care Care, that much You know, it might have been. It might have a guy that looks better from a distance, or like you know, is the idea of him is a lot better than who he actually is because he's also yeah. like this really. Because his character is also like this edgelord lord cartoonist that like is yeah. just the like he's the worst person in the world. Not Julie, not Renata Rinzler. She's you know she's not that bad.
1: No. Yeah, he um he was quite great, and yeah, when when his character sort of first got introduced, I was a bit hesitant as well I was, i was mm. expecting sort of the same thing but i think what the film does with not only his character but but the character of julie as well it was just so surprising for me and just felt so refreshing i guess is mm. is also the and word
0: e- even though like during because you know the movie takes you and and you actually feel like you've gone on a journey with all mm. of these characters it doesn't feel like just you're moving from plot A to plot B. And, you know, because with the chapter, like, like this also feels quite episodic. And, you know, the chapters vary in length too. Like there's yep. one chapter that's only like a couple of minutes long and then there's <laughs> other chapters which are like pushing on for half an hour. Yeah, you know, and there's like there's incredible sequences within these ones. Like it's in all of the trailers and it's the poster for the film. But there's a moment where she switches on a is it she switches on a light or off a light? I think she switches off a light. She switches it off, and basically every time around her freezes. Yeah. So she time around her freezes, and she just decides to go sprinting, like just absolutely running carefree through the streets of Oslo. Mm-hmm. And she goes to the cafe where this other guy, who she sort of had a remote romantic affair with. Um, you know, so it, because they say it's not cheating because they didn't sleep with each other, but like so, you know, they basically sort of run together and meet, and they're the it's like because they're the only two people in the world, and it's just such a beautiful sequence. Yeah, I loved it, and it's also it's beautiful sequences like that, but then it's also like really trippy terror enduring sequences, <laughs> like when she takes what's like, does she take mushrooms? Mushrooms, she takes? Yeah. yeah. She takes mushrooms, and she has one of the weirdest trips that I've maybe ever seen in a film that just. <laughs> I just, it's, it's indescribable. You it just it, it, it just keeps building on like, wait, what am I looking at? Wait, what's that? No, no, no. I haven't recovered from what I last saw and now I'm seeing this. Give me a bit of time to just, you know, it just keeps building on each other, but it's all, uh, man, this film is just in many ways, it is euphoric, but also incredibly like melancholy or, like, incredibly yeah. somber at the same time. Like, that character played by Anders Danielson Lee, who I believe is his name is Ansel or Axel, whatever his character's name um, is. Axel, I think. Axel, yeah. yeah. And, like, his character, like, he's shown to be a bit of a dick for a lot of the movie, but then, <laughs> like, you know, progressions in the plot actually uh, it asks the audience to feel sympathy for this character. Yeah. And- you, you normally, in in another movie, I'd be like, "Yeah, no, fuck off, fuck this guy." But no, but this film because it's so well written and the performance from Lee is so good, and also the performance from Rhindsver, you mm. actually genuinely feel sympathy for this guy for what he's going through, yeah. you know, for what he has to go through later in this film.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that's sort of the the main highlight for the film and for me is is the writing and just how. Um, you just kind of get lost in in julie's story and what mm. her journey is and and like you say you feel like you've gone through a journey once you get to the end of it
0: yeah it's like a would be the way to describe it. it it's a it's a low like a low stakes epic or like a personal it feels it's like epic, a personal but it's, epic yeah personal epic that's a perfect way to describe this film.
1: yeah yeah it's a, it's amazing it really did blow me away and it was one that I was I had a ticket for it for Biff, uh, Brisbane International Film Festival back in um October and it was one I had no idea what it was I wasn't really looking forward to it I it kind of clashed with another screening and there was just all these issues leading into me getting there and finding a car park and I was just like is this even worth it and it just it was yeah it was very well worth it um like I say it's hands down one of my favourite movies of the year. Um, And I can't wait to watch it again whenever I get the chance.
0: It's just excellent. It's absolutely excellent. And like Mm -hmm. like what I said with Licorice Pizza, this is a film where it's like, I could have watched Julie in fucking 50 chapters, man. Yep. Like this character is just so compelling and it's like, it's, yeah, she's just... And, and, you know, like Ryan's her herself is just has such a magnetic screen presence as well. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it's just her look as well, because yes, she is incredibly attractive. She kind of looks like Dakota Johnson mixed with Alicia Vikander. That's like the the best way I can describe how she looks, but yeah, it's just, and her smile, her smile just radiates such warmth Warmth. and life and just, oh, she's, she's incredible in this film. And yeah, like she, she carries off, you know, both. but as I said, both the really euphoric moments of absolute joy and the really mm-hmm. somber moments that come and they, and, and the tonal shift when it goes to there and hope, and I think the chapter um, structure with the chapters helps with this case is that it, you don't yeah. feel like there's any whiplash when it, when it really makes those big tonal changes.
1: Not at all. It um, everything feels so genuine and um, authentic that yeah, I never once felt like there was any form of tonal whiplash at all, whether that's going from a comedic sequence to a very, you know, dramatic sequence or whether that's going from romance to, to comedy. Yeah, it just mm. all works so well together.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's the perfect mix of funny, heartfelt, genuinely romantic mm-hmm. and just, an absolute joyous cinematic exp- expression of cinema. It's, you know, it's, as I said, this film made me believe in cinema again, but it's yes. also made me incredibly cynical in the fact that Hollywood stay the fuck away from this movie. I can see, <laughs> I can see Hollywood remaking this film and it being absolute terrible.
1: Yeah. It's
0: absolute possible. terrible. I know English. Well, I'm podcast, <laughs> me podcast. I know, I know how to speak. Why Why the hell did I choose a podcast? My God. I can barely speak. Anyway, continue, Blake. Just avoid my existential crisis. which may also be relevant because, you know, we haven't we're talking about a film of a character that does go through an existential crisis. It's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, I,
1: I agree I can also see Hollywood wanting to have a crack at remaking this. Um, but I don't think that they should, because it's pretty. I think it's impossible to to recapture what this film yeah sort of brings, um, and I really hope that it gets more than just a foreign film nod
0: yeah, if it could sneak into but screenplay, that would be would awesome be amazing. if 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 tri- if, if, if Reinsver could sneak into actress, which i I, I don't think it's going to happen, that would be awesome yeah. if even Tria could sneak into director, director. I think that would be awesome mm-hmm. as well, or even a, a, yeah original screenplay as well, just oh. Oh, by the way, Reprise—I think was the name of that other in the uh, in the Oslo trilogy from uh, the yes. trio. But, yep. uh, but I haven't seen a film from his of his, and it make, I'm really curious to and see some either. of his other films. I remember when Thelma came out, there was massive buzz about that film, um, mm. louder than bombs, which is his English language and American film, not so much, but like all of his other films, I've heard you know really really great things about. Yeah, and like yeah. If, if this is what you know, if this is like the top tier. Like I'm, I'm willing to accept anything below this because this is, this is incredible.
1: Yeah, the I think the first thing I did after I got out of the the screening was Google him and his filmography and start mm. going. All right, I need to watch these movies.
0: And I also want to see Renata Reinsver and everything now. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know if she's gonna. I don't know if people are gonna pick her up in Hollywood. Like I, I bought stock in Joanna Kulig thinking that she'd absolutely skyrocket after Cold War. I, uh, yeah, I'm still waiting to see from that. All I got was the Eddie, <laughs> and uh, I, want my, I want a refund, to be honest. Yeah. I know. Joanna, please put, you, I don't know, maybe she's just happier in Poland. And maybe, well, Renata Reinsver almost quit acting, I think. I read something about that. And, oh, really? and then Joachim Trier sort of like, convinced her to star in this one film and i think she's sort of you know yeah. found a passion for it again now so you know good for good for renata and yeah. good for all of us as moviegoers to see this fantastic film the worst person in the world um probably will be in a limited release because it is being distributed through madman but it is coming yeah. out on december 26 on boxing day like all the other films we have talked about today blake you've also seen a couple of um you've seen a couple of previews for other films that you've uh that have yet to come out or are coming out a bit later in January. Uh You're embargoed for one of them, which I was not aware of until you uh, pointed it out just before we we're about to talk <laughs> about it. Um, But uh, do you want to briefly talk about any of those before we start um, off? We've got a bit of time.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure. I think the only one or the only other one that I can talk about um would probably be Ghostbusters Afterlife, okay. which I How saw a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't know. It's, it is very much a oh my god do you remember this sort of mm. movie which
0: what, that's what the matrix resurrections did well because you know yes. the, the matrix resurrections like plays out or like intercuts with scenes of the first movie or has like scenes of the Flashes. first movie projected yeah. like into the backgrounds or into the settings of certain scenes of this film mm. it's the matrix resurrections is the way to do it but what i'm guessing is the Ghostbusters Afterlife is more of like a here you go, peer here picks, here's your slot.
1: Yeah, I think Ghostbusters Afterlife definitely um relies on that that nostalgia a lot more than the Matrix Resurrections did. Um but I don't know if it's because I had the lowest of low expectations for this movie or or not, but I actually came out of it enjoying it it's not fantastic you know i've I've forgotten most of it but i was happy to sit there and and eat my popcorn for a bit and i think it does do enough uh, on its own merit to to earn at least some of those nostalgic moments um you know it's not entirely a rehash of the first movie it 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 has its own sort of plot and new characters that that it explores that are you know, the grandchildren of um Oh my goodness.
0: Uh Harold Ramos. Yes. Yeah, Egon. Um Egor, yes, thank you. Egor. Egon. Yeah. Egon. I was gonna say, does this kid have a hunchback? <laughs> no. McKenna Grace have a hunchback in this movie? Uh missed no. opportunity, Jason Reitman. Jeez. hmm
1: But um yeah, I mean I thought it was good enough and I think families will will enjoy it and I think the biggest takeaway from the movie which is sort of the case from most of her movies that I've seen is that McKenna Grace is a fantastic young actress Hmm. um and I I hope that she sticks with with acting sort of you know throughout growing up and stuff because I think she's really good um and has a pretty good future ahead of her if, if she sticks to it but um yeah i mean at the end of the day it's very much a nostalgia bait movie but i thought it did enough on its own right to be entertaining well that's it
0: that's interesting i'm you now that you say that i mean now that you've sort of you may have accidentally elevated my expectations and now (laughs) i'll see it and i'm like this is fucking terrible yeah (laughs) i don't know well i'm i'm not adverse to it i'm not like i'm not like how most ghostbusters fans reacted to the paul feig or you know all female cast movie mm. like i thought that movie was fine I yeah, me too. thought it was kind of okay without being amazing you know mm-hmm. i think it, it might be better than ghostbusters 2 you know
1: <laughs> yeah i think ghostbusters 2 does not hold up well at all um yeah
0: it just it just feels like everything all of these sorts of things are just like destined to live in the shadow of stranger things. Yeah. Like, you know, even (laughs) Finn Wolfhard is even in this movie for God's sake. It's just, I'm over. I mean, I I mean, we we just sang the, the praises of licorice pizza earlier. I'm just over nostalgia, you know, (laughs) move on.
1: Yeah. I know.
0: We can can never, we can always have to go back. We can't go forward as a, as a culture. We always have to keep going back. It's just, I don't know. It's a sad state of affairs.
1: Mm. But yeah, what can you do? I don't know. It was okay. yeah, you can make good original world.
0: movies like Worst Person in the World, Blake. That's what you can do for considerably less money. For considerably less money, that's than very Ghost true. Busters Afterlife, you can probably make bloody ten or maybe even twenty Worst Person in the World,
1: <laughs> and they should. Mm. Um but yeah I mean that's pretty much all I've got to say about Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yes, it was nothing fine. it nothing was nothing overwhelmingly enough.
0: positive and nothing overwhelmingly negative a completely nah. van- a completely vanilla experience pretty much. Actually no that, that that's offensive to vanilla. Vanilla's good.
1: <laughs> yes. Um I think what's telling about this movie though is that I was seated I was seated next to who was someone who was clearly a Ghostbusters mega fan who was cheering it. Every little thing, right oh, down to damn. the um, crunch wrapper that gets pulled out of um, Jeez, a T-shirt. I barely
0: even remember that. Jeez.
1: I know, and a Twinkie. Wow. I never thought I'd hear a Twinkie get such a. Oh well, I know. I only
0: know that because of Ernie Hudson's great line from the first movie. That's a big Twinkie. <laughs>
1: so yeah. Exactly.
0: That's all I know, and because you know they replay that scene in *Zombieland* as well. You know. Yeah. Um,
1: but yeah. Yeah, it's fine.
0: It's a movie that exists. Mm-hmm. See, see it if you want or don't. I don't care. Um, I don't. I don't have to, Don't. Don't listen to me. I don't have to tell you what to do. I'm not your mum. Exactly.
1: Make your own decisions. <laughs>
0: uh, uh, yeah. But that's that's yeah. about it. I mean, we're we're burnt out. Um, I'm I'm currently working night shift. I don't know what Blake's excuse is. He's on holidays and he's on a re- he's on a regular human sleep schedule. So I don't know what his problem is. But you know. that's that's the end of the episode guys that's uh yeah that's everything coming out on boxing day we if it is safe for you to do so and you feel safe too go see a movie Mm -hmm. and definitely you know see one of these movies instead of spider-man spider-man doesn't need your money
1: no i think it's already taken everyone's money yeah and and your
0: your experience with that ghostbusters fan is my fear of potentially going to see spider-man well, even though even entire. though all, yeah, that was your experience. Oh that okay. was my entire screen. Oh, please tell. Okay, no, we got we gotta hear this before we sign off. Sorry.
1: Um yeah. I think that it's very I don't I don't like the sportification, if you want to call it that. It's not yeah. a word, but I'm calling it that. The sportification of film, mainly surrounding comic book movies and things like that. And I have never experienced it more than I did with my Spider-Man screening with screaming and yelling and clapping and people taking photos of the screen like the person next oh, to me geez. had their phone out like
0: you got to you got to report those idiots you I know and
1: I've seen a lot of discussion of this online and some people are saying oh if if it was a fan event and and 96% of the people were acting like this I'd be fine with it like I'm that's fine. I don't care if you're a mega fan or a general audience member, when you're going to the cinema, I think that there is a you know you have to respect the people around you. Yeah. The the cinema that you're at. Um yeah. Thankfully there was no popcorn throwing or anything like that. I've yeah, seen photos oh God, online of awful. just completely trashed cinemas, which is disgusting to look at and just appalling behavior. But yeah, it was Uh, annoying very annoying
0: yeah I think I think this speaks larger to the you know not only the cinema going culture and what people want to see in cinema these days but also (laughs) I think more of a fact of like cinema going and specifically cinema etiquette and how streaming has sort of ruined people's perception of viewing habits basically because you know and especially over the pandemic it's just you know it's just expanded and it's just become it's just become almost involuntary now for them they don't yeah. realize, they don't respect the cinema space. They don't respect the people around them. They're still no. acting as if they're in their own home. So they, mm-hmm. they're talking, they're still on their phones and all that. And we sound like old, angry old men yelling at clouds by saying shit like this, but you know, <laughs> it know. is an issue. And look, I've been to festival screen like, and I don't think the festival screenings where there's like hooting and hollering and all that sort of stuff. Like I went to a screening of Mandy, which was, it was it's one of the worst cinema experiences i've had i'm cool with most of the time with like say for like say if you're watching a horror movie, like when i saw upgrade for example yeah. when i saw upgrade and there was a you know there's a the first person that um uh oh, what's his name That Logan Marshall Green kills, you know, how he sort of, he grabs his neck, uh, he grabs his head and sort of like, oh no, pulls a knife through his jaw and sort of like bisects his head. It's a really gruesome kill. There was like a loud, audible gasp and even screams when that happened. And then when he fell down and like the scene ends and there's a moment of silence, rapturous applause. (laughs) But then like once dialogue started happening and the scene moved on, people stopped. Yeah. You know. Like, so that sort of stuff I'm cool with, but Mm -hmm. when like, you know, the seeing the footage and things like that, it's just, man, it's like, you have to understand the sort of space that you're going to, to do that. And the sort of crowd that you're in.
1: Exactly. And I think that, um, you know, these movies, like with the Marvel movies, like Spider-Man uh no way home avengers endgame like these movies have been coined events you know massive events that that everything's mm. been building towards etc and i think that marvel um but, you know marketing their movies around footage of people in avengers endgame screaming and not hearing a single word i think that that does not help
0: it's sickening the
1: the, the cause at all it's
0: encouraging it if anything. exactly
1: um and you it's know like, like you're
0: weird if you're not doing this
1: i'm not saying i'm not saying don't get excited like no. i i got excited yeah you um, can get excited the movie, but yeah, here's the thing you, you don't can have to en- clap and scream yeah
0: you can look polite i mean no let me say this. you can enjoy things without being a loud obnoxious asshole exactly okay and yes as i said again respect the cinema space you know mm-hmm. if you want to i you know, just know the appropriate time to cheer and know the appropriate length when to do that. Yeah. Okay? You know, it's like it's like you don't burst into applause in, an, in the middle of a bloody orchestra playing a set. Like, you know,
1: mm.
0: it, it, like, say like if you go to an opera, you don't just, you wait until the song ends and then you stand and applaud or cheer and do all that sort of stuff. Sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's just, it's just, you know, fil- fil- film viewing habits and just cinema etiquette have completely gone out the window and the pandemic has really only made it worse. Yeah. And I'm sure for a lot of people this is their first time back in a cinema since mm. probably since the pandemic began.
1: Yeah. And I think I'm probably being a little a little over dramatic about my screening. Like there 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 wasn't so much. Um there were only a couple of times when the cheering went on for far too long and I missed a couple of lines of dialogue. But mm. I mean, for the most part, it was at the moments that the film set up for that yeah. applause and left gaps for that but i still think that it was just over the oh my god yay sort of reaction it was very much so the screaming and the clapping and the talking and it just was a little bit too much
0: yeah that's what's made opinions. that's what's made me really apprehensive but like i still t- as of the time of recording i still have not seen uh, no way home and You know, maybe I won't have that. Uh, I won't have that if I were to go now, because, Mm. or maybe I still will, because a lot of people will probably be going for their second and potentially even third or fourth time. These fucking nerds, and (laughs) you know, and they'll probably will just go back to go hoot and holler at all of these moments. And it's exactly don't ruin my experience, please. You know, me sitting here, me sitting here silently is not ruining your experience. Mm. So please don't ruin mine. Okay.
1: Yeah, it's frustrating.
0: Anyway, on that very um, on that very bitter note, <laughs> uh, we end this episode. Thanks once again, Blake, for joining me here talking about all of these really really cool movies that are coming out this Christmas and Boxing Day period, and also New Year's Day. We should say Ghostbusters Afterlife if you yes. want to see it. From Blake's obviously very rave <laughs> review of Indifference. <gasps> um yeah so that film is out on new year's day in australia i think it's been out pretty much everywhere for ages i think so yeah but you know it's not a big loss that that got delayed you know no
1: not at all and i'm sure all the super um...
0: fans all the super fans would have gone to the preview screenings that were earlier this month anyway (laughs) so you know yeah but anyway blake thanks for coming on the pod again uh and hopefully if all goes to plan i have a plan for what this podcast will be and if that plan goes through blake will be on a lot more often so
1: Yes, sounds yes. very exciting.
0: It will be very exciting if we're able to get that. If we can actually finally organize this and make it a real podcast, then it will be very exciting. But we're, <laughs> in the meantime, where can people find you? Um, So I'm
1: mainly on Twitter Um, and Letterboxd. Both Um, are just at Blake underscore Eisen, Ison, I-S-O-N. Um, and you can also find some of my reviews at movie babble moviebabble.com. um but yeah twitter and twitter and letterboxd are sort of my main my main uh, places of film chatter
0: yeah cool absolutely mm. awesome uh, and I also write for Movie babble Who would have thought? Um so yeah, so you can go to go to moviebabble.com to see work from both Blake, myself, and also the plethora of other great writers that we have at the staff over on Movie babble They're always doing really cool work. Yes. Um, yep, so go check them out, moviebabble.com. You can also, you know, follow us here on the podcast as well. So you can like us on Facebook. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at abmoviepodcast and also on Instagram at another bloody movie pod if you go to those sites and also look at the artwork of this very episode you can see we have some lovely new artwork it was about time we got a facelift mm-hmm. so we've got some lovely simplistic yet very very striking artwork from the great Tim Bengoff so thank you Tim for creating that artwork for me we go way back all the way back since uh, the three SSR days at Swinburne Student Radio where we did uh, our game show Movie Fury which was basically a ripoff. Of Screen Junkies movie fights. And we actually, there is actually an episode of that here on the Another Buddy Movie podcast feed. So if you go way, way back, <laughs> you can go ahead and listen to um, our, the old movie Fury back from 2017 and hear me and Tim and also our other host of that show, Lockie Beasley, talk about I don't even remember what we were fighting about. I think it was like uh, most underrated DC supervillain or something like that. Uh, <laughs> or, or also which fictional world you would like to live in most. So we d- we do sort of debates about that sort of stuff. It was a fun it was a fun show. I wish we kind of wish we continued it after sort of we all parted ways after three SSR. But you know it was a fun fun doing that. So and Tim is also a really really cool artist. So thanks Tim for the artwork and go follow Tim on his social medias and everything. Make sure to look out for him. That's Tim Bengough. That is Bengoff, Bengough B E N G O U G H. And also with our other plugs, subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts. We are on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcasts. We're no longer on SoundCloud, but we are over on, we're now on Stitcher actually. But basically wherever you get your podcasts, search for ABMP and hit that subscribe button. And also follow me on all of my social places, wherever they are, uh, Instagram and Twitter, both at Hub underscore, S-E-A-N-H-U-B underscore, and also on Letterboxd, which is Sean Coates. I thought I had more to say there, but I don't. That's (laughs) it. That's the end of the plugs. And that's the end of the episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Um, Hopefully we'll get into more episodes in the new year and we'll have a more consistent schedule. And also we'll be bringing back podcast at Hanging Rock. And we're going to be doing more of that very soon. got some great guests lined up, not lined up, but guests organized for that. (laughs) Guests who have committed to coming on to do stuff like that. Thanks Blake for joining us again. Thanks again for having me. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you.